Welcome everyone to Malazan FM episode 9. Uh, this is Jonathan as always. And I'm Adam. Hello. Yeah, so welcome also to book 2 of the Malazan Book of the Fallen, Deadhouse Gates. Today we'll be reading the prologue and uh, the first two chapters which are in the uh, mini book number 1, Raraku. Uh, so uh, we jump right into the prologue. Uh, with a man entirely covered with flies. Yeah, it's a pretty uh, grisly image to uh, to open with. Uh, we've got this uh, this priest of Hood uh, who's just covered from head to toe with flies swarming all over him. It's uh, pretty grim. Yeah, and we basically get just dropped into this image with uh, very little explanation except for it's uh, we're located in uh, Malaz City. And uh, on the next page, after a bit of uh, description and stuff, we get we realize we're in the perspective of one uh, Felicine who uh, well, last appeared in like chapter one or two of Gardens of the Moon, and who is um, Gano's Gano's parents' uh, younger sister, and apparently she's tied up and almost naked. Not a nice uh, place to be. I I always forget did we actually meet Felison or was she just mentioned? Oh yes, that... you're right. She was mentioned. Just yeah, because we meet Tavore and she's like, yeah, Felison's not here. She would have liked to have seen you. Too yeah. bad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we do get a glimpse of uh, Tavore as well, but uh, Felicine is our main viewpoint for this prologue, um, and she's standing next to this really huge ogre kind of guy. Um, who was later find out is named Dogden, and a guy with uh, no hands. And it was covered with tattoos of a, of a boar. So uh, they're basically standing there in a huge uh, line of uh, chains. And uh, there's a very angry crowd all of waiting for them. Um, and uh, it turns out that this uh, tattooed guy yeah, used to be a priest of uh, the boar god of war, uh, Fenner. And uh, he got his hands chopped off. Um, and uh, Felicine recognizes him and... Uh, you know, it's, we, he has a nickname, uh, Light Touch, and you know, it took me a while, uh, well, first reading to realize why he's called Light Touch. <laughs> because he's got his hands cut off. <laughs> so, uh, uh, so yeah, it turns, it seems that the Empress has initiated a call or some kind of, um, purge of the nobility in the Empire for some reason, which I'm not entirely clear on, uh, why. Yeah, we don't really uh, get any information about that. It's just that she's initiated a call on the on the nobility. I think it's interesting that both prologues uh, uh, take place sort of part way through a call in uh, oh, yeah, right. Gardens of the Moon. It was the the mages who were getting the the, the raw deal, and yeah. this time <laughs> this time it's the nobles who have to bleed to uh, keep the masses happy. Yes, and uh, we do get confirmation that this is taking place a bit after the events of uh, Garden of the Moon, as uh, we get a mention of apparently Perrin is believed to be, Garen Ganos is believed to have died on uh, Genebacus. Um, and um, so basically, Felicine is like this uh, self-centered rich girl who isn't really in the uh, real world yet, and uh, this is where she is at the very beginning of her arc, um, and Heboric. Um, he, when Felicine says that he wonders why the Priest of Hood is coming for her, he, he like, uh, reproves her and tells her, like, oh, why do you think the world revolves about you, typical rich girl? And it turns out the priest comes to uh, Hiboric and uh, tells him some kind of secret, and then all the flies fly away to reveal empty space, which is uh, very odd. 
thing. Um, Pretty spooky. Yeah, it's like uh, the first thing thinks maybe it was Hood himself uh, who appeared in the form of a bunch of flies, which uh, I guess makes sense because I mean he's like the god of death and rot and things. Uh, anyway, so I still wonder what that secret was, but I guess if I pay attention in uh, this reread, I'll figure it out. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, then there's this um, noble uh, old woman, the name of uh, Lady Geisen or whatever, and she's uh, totally oblivious pretty much to what's going on. She thinks that the, uh, that the Empress can be uh, reasoned with or bought off or something. Um, she thinks her nobility still uh, matters. But Baudin, our our ogre, huge guy, uh, tells her, uh, if, if stupidity was a crime, you'd have been arrested years ago. <laughs> <laughs> What a great guy. Yeah, about him. He's, <laughs> one, he's one of Erickson's, uh, I think, better built uh, characters in, uh, in the whole series, actually. I think about it. Um, yeah. And um, then uh, Heboric is like, kind of asks for if this is like personal between her and her sister Tavora, who we, we learn has become a, a junk after the death of uh, Lorne last episode. But uh, we're not entirely clear about it. But we do get a glimpse of uh, Tavora with her exotic companion. Uh, yeah, Tamba. Tamba, yes, and uh, don't forget either of those, they'll become extremely important. But anyway, uh, Tavor seems to be give this like slight nod to Felicine and then just rides on, like almost there. Like she's almost completely heartless, uh, right there. Uh, and uh, it, it, it inspires that Heboric uh, wrote this revised history, which is full of, of uh, uh, gossip against the Empress and was banned. But uh, he was defended by a friend of his, a uh, fellow historian, by the name of Dweaker. Um, so, so uh, we learned that. And, uh, yep. And uh, soon enough, there uh, moved the uh, all the uh, nobles and the others who had been chained up there. Moved and they began to be marched towards the slave ships to wait them the day. But uh, Baudin cuts a bloody swathe through the uh, peasants and uh, far and uh, slum dwellers. Who try to kill them? Uh, in the end, uh, he beheads the old woman and kind of throws them in her head. Just crazy. Um, it's uh, it's a great scene. This yeah. this uh, as the move and the prisoners you can really imagine. Bowden sort of sitting there just killing people left and right, and then you get this really uh, graphic description of how he uh, sort of saws Lady Gason's head off with a a piece of chain, and then just throws it into the crowd, and everyone is obviously terrified at this stage, including uh, the crowd that's supposed to be tearing the prisoners apart. Yeah. Um, I don't know. So, uh, basically, uh, by the end of the prologue, uh, Felicine seems to be like more awakened to, as she said, or that ends with this line, uh, her lessons have begun, uh, as they're like, uh, she's like, completely naked, and they're like stuffed into the slave ships. Uh, which, uh, well, I guess this prologue did uh, do a good job of uh, starting Felicine's arc, which uh, becomes important, but uh, unfortunately she doesn't appear in the chapters 1 or 2, so we'll have to leave her there uh, until next time. Uh, on to chapter 1, where we shift in typical Mazan uh, style to Seven Cities, uh, for the first time in that uh, sandy, extremely hot continent. And uh, we've got these two, this, uh, this, uh, two wanderers, uh, Mapotrel and uh, Ikarion, who are who are uh, wandering in the uh, Holy Desert of uh, Raraku, 
and uh, they come upon a shapeshifter known as a soul taken um, um, and uh, they talk to no it's not a soul taken it's a divers um, which manifests as six wolves mm-hmm. so uh, yeah so Mapo is a trell which is a certain kind of uh, race kind of like uh, hairy and uh, and muscular kind of face, and apparently a very uh, long-lived one, um, because uh, over back in the last episode, as mentioned, uh, like a thousand years ago, uh, Ikaro and Mapo visited uh, Jerujistan. So, yeah. And uh, for one so ancient, um, Mapo does still have a have a sense of humor, as he says, like uh, the, this creature I'm seeing has like uh, so lots of hair and all kinds of places, and uh, I might be describing what my uncle is, except for. <laughs> yeah. Nice uh, spot, Puma. Um, for some reason, he says he's when they're, they're talking about like fighting the uh, approaching uh, shapeshifter. He say, he says as shy as a hare is Mapo Trail, which uh, is kind of odd way to say thing to say about Mapo. Uh, uh, well, he he does uh, he, he likes to avoid violence, um, particularly because he's with Icarium, Uh but uh, he's, yeah. he sort of likes to stare them. Sort of away from any danger and any any opportunities for things to get out of hand. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I think that's that's why he's so shy. I think uh, otherwise he might be quite uh, quite bold. Yes, uh, it's a bit of a unnatural spot he's forced into by his companionship. Uh, and then we get a bit of uh, the two's uh, wanderings around the desert to see these various uh, tells, which is like this high uh, hill formed by like. Uh, ruins of like one settlement upon another and these uh, ruins uh, estates and you, you really see uh, Steven Erickson's uh, past as an archaeologist in a, in this section and basically all the uh, sections dealing with uh, Mapo and Icario now results in describing uh, these uh, ruined places and uh, ancient uh, civilizations uh, and it does and it comes a lot to play to uh, dead house, in this dead, dead house gates and in fact the whole idea of the past and uh, its living god is also sort of a plot point, but uh, we'll get to that. Uh, mm. Anyway, so, um, by the way, uh, if you're wondering, as uh, some do, the difference between uh, soul takens and uh, divers is uh, a soul taken is someone who shapeshifts is like one animal, and a uh, divers is one of the shapes that forms like into more than one. Like, is it, so soul taken as in uh, soul, S-O-L-E. So, uh, good way to elaborate. That's how I did. Uh, and, uh, we also, they also, Mapo also mentions, uh, what is Shaik, who, if you read the back cover of the House Gates, you know is the seeress, who, uh, seems to be preaching, uh, revolution against the Mazan Empire. And he's basically saying how her army is encamped around this, uh, waterhole, and, uh, very soon she's like to take over the desert and things, which is a good bit of, uh, foreshadowing, uh, Mm-hmm. So that's another use of this uh, introduction section. Uh, we did have a few mentions of the fact that uh, Seven Cities was sort of on the on the verge of rebellion, uh, even back in Gardens of the Moon. I think yes, uh, that's true. Dujak Cal- mentioned it a couple of times. And yeah, uh, Calab uh, yeah, is uh, from Seven Cities. Uh, anyway, and uh, then we have another abrupt shift across the continent to the city of Hisar. Uh, where our point of view character, Dweaker, is uh, witnessing the landing of these uh, wicked horse soldiers, a uh, very chaotic landing in the uh, 
the, uh, the pyres, and he's like watching from his tower with a slippery sword to person by the name of Malik Kral, <laughs> which uh, is a name that uh, echoes in uh, infamy for reasons we can't really talk about yet. And, uh, he's he's not a particularly likable character, Malik, as he I think instantly you sort of take a bit of a dislike to him. He just seems. Really sort of slimy and slippery and sly. He's just a... Uh... bad grammar. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, when you do it with Yoda, it's endearing, but when it's Malakral, it's uh, annoying. Uh, yeah. So uh, he's basically uh, reflecting on how the situation is uh, unstable in Seven Cities and how uh, Coltade, uh, the new uh, fist of the Seventh Army, who's arrived uh, as commander of these uh, wicked horse soldiers, uh, he may find himself uh, a very far place with like the politics of the Malzahn uh, command in Seven Cities. Uh, and uh, we also meet a mage by the name of uh, Kulp, uh, K-U-L-P, who uh, is uh, not that important right now, but he does uh, pick up uh, this kind of uh, cynical uh, observer kind of guy uh, later on. Uh, anyway... So yeah, so uh, uh, but like uh, Joker is trying to figure out the, which of the soldiers is cultivated, and like someone tells him, "Oh, he's that tall, uh, really strong guy with uh, uh, who's screeching," and he's like, "Oh my god, this fucking madman is the new fist." <laughs> yeah, he's he's the one leading the the sort of near riot at the docks. Yeah, <laughs> you expect him to be somewhere trying to calm everyone down, and he's like at the front, standing on his horse, screaming and wailing. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, and apparently the other solar miles on soldiers of the area don't uh, have much of a liking for them. Uh, Draco reflects that uh, if the guard were to kill them all, no one uh, would shed a tear. Uh, so uh, it's a bit of a short uh, section. And uh, it's basically introducing us to Duiker and Malik and Coltane. Uh, this, uh, this entire chapter is a bit of a is mainly about making like, these introductions, and as we shift again, we have a we have we pick up from the very end of the last book with uh, Fiddler and Caleb and Crocus on the boat uh, on route to Seven Cities, and uh, they're almost there. And uh, it's kind of unexplained why they're heading there instead of back to uh, it's Kokan, although actually well, initially it's unexplained, but then uh, Caleb explains it in the end. Uh, anyway, so. Uh, uh, Fiddler is our quite a few characters. He's like telling us about how they made this overland journey to this uh, city of uh, Karakarag and uh, how uh, he's been lonely with things. And uh, uh, he says like, "Oh, religious wars are no fun." And he's he's kind of uh, not not very excited about going back to Seven Cities. He says like, "I hated it the first time, and I hate." Uh, yeah, so. Uh, we have uh, Crocus making his uh, usual uh, petulant uh, complaints, and uh, then this very, very scary sea animal called a dead Rami shows up, which is apparently like a centipede, except 80, piece, uh, 80 paces long. Uh, yeah. And, uh, well, this one's actually, I think, twice that length, according yes. to Fiddler. <laughs> 80 paces long, not unless it's being cut in half. Yes, exactly. <laughs> So, um, so it basically it turns out this is also a shapeshifter, except it's a uh, salting in uh, so one animal, and it and it basically uh, it basically like telepathically communicates with them or something, 
I basically say, go, I got to kill you because you saw me passing, uh, but I'll be nice to you, but I won't eat you. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and they're like, oh, thank you, thank you very much. Uh, and, uh, uh, but then, uh, as usual, our team of uh, Caleb, the assassin, and uh, Fiddler, the sapper, they bring up this crossbow, this explosive qual, and they basically shoot the dead Robbie in the head, and it blows up, and blows up his head and dies. Uh, although actually, now that I remember, it's like, it's this, uh, before you die, it's like, the army says, like, another fishing boat mysteriously lost. Alas. <laughs> yeah, so then, uh, Fiddler, Fiddler blows him up with a crossbow, and then says, you picked the wrong fisherman. Yeah, he gets his, a cool badass. action hero line. Yes. <laughs> kind of reminds me of the end of Jaws, this bit, where <laughs> Where the, ta- where the shark's got the uh, gas tank in his mouth and he shoots it and blows his head off. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Could be from that, honestly. Um, anyway, so uh, Fiddler is kind of gets a bit creepy when he looks at Epsilon's ass uh, on the boat and uh, he's like saying, oh, I've been too long at sea. Uh, the horse is back in the Karakarak with like totally pox. Uh, I'll have like pox and the CGB lock from all the same uh, poxy family. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so based, so uh, after that, they're basically thinking on uh, what the uh, that Robbie was doing, and uh, they basically think that it's headed for this place, uh, the Path of Hands. It's uh, seeking this uh, soul taken is seeking to become an ascendant, which uh, kind of introduces the very odd and uh, unexplained uh, mechanics of how one becomes an ascendant. Uh, yeah, this is apparently one way. Uh-huh. I mean, uh, there, there seems to be a bit of a fuzzy line between these uh, shapeshifters and ascendants. For instance, uh, back with uh, Mappo, uh, he tells the, uh, sh- the divers that it's like, oh, I saw your brother uh, Treach back in, uh, uh, whatever, back in uh, Quantalia Day. As we know, Treach is a bit of a kind of a god, um, although he actually becomes important uh, way later on. Anyway, so uh, apparently all of these... Uh, all these uh, shapeshifters, uh, soul taken, and divers are heading on this uh, path of paths to be good because they all want to become ascendants. I don't know how how full of terminology that was just now. Um, anyway, so uh, so basically, they're going to create a convergence, which, uh, as we know, is the um, basically the idea that power draw, draws power and it causes a budget crazy climax for us all to enjoy. Um, yeah, so all those soul taken gathering in one place is bound to uh, get yes. someone's attention and cause all kinds of uh, trouble. Yeah, and uh, in fact, we already had this observation right, right at the beginning with uh, Mappo. Uh, and in fact, I was already like uh, kind of <laughs> making these uh, kind of readerly estimates, like, oh, the convergence is months away. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, and then at the end of uh, chapter one, we have. Uh, Basically, they land at this uh, village, uh, ten, 10 hours walk from uh, early town, and uh, turns out the fiddler is also from Seven Cities. He's a native. Of course, he hated the place, and uh, they find this uh, little village, and they land there, and it gives this like typical like uh, epic line, like oh, they, they just landed like this dump, and it's like just begun. Yeah. So uh, that's uh, chapter one, and uh, now we've got uh, chapter two with um, we start with uh, Duiker. Walking around, and he sees this, um, this red hand painted on a wall that is being erased uh, by the rain uh, in the city of uh, Hisar. Um, and uh, you know, it, it kind of reminds me. If we also we again see more of uh, Erickson's uh, professional background this time in anthropology, where we uh, we kind of we see that at work when he like makes he made the uh, 
various cultures of uh, seven the seven cities continent uh, basically saying how they have this like uh, uh, symbol language that only Dewey like cares to uh, decipher and he's basically saying like oh the year of uh, Drigida is coming around and uh, rebellion is uh, had uh, so uh, actually the yeah. The, the epigram, like, seeing at the beginning of the chapter is interesting. It's like saying, like, something about the lines of, uh, thinking that the, uh, Aaron High Command was, like, totally ignorant of what was going on is, like, naive or cynical, which is, uh, kind of, uh, interesting because usually in these, uh, stories it's like the, the commanders are, like, totally, like, oblivious to what's going on. And, uh, it's only, like, the hero who realizes and, uh, gets ready. Like, in those, uh, disaster movies, you know, where the government doesn't care and it's, uh, yeah. Um, individual people uh, need to do it, save themselves. But apparently that's not the case, which I guess is a bit more realistic. I mean, uh, governments are people too, but uh, I think it's kind of like implying that uh, they knew but did it, but uh, let it proceed anyway. Or, uh, yeah, I think they perhaps uh, underestimate uh, the, the magnitude of what's going to happen. They, they know that there's unrest and that there's sort of a rebellion on the way, but I think. Uh, they, they perhaps misjudge how uh, how severe it's going to be. Yes, I, I do love the idea of the uh, these sort of these rebels using sort of secret graffiti yeah. to uh, to communicate, sort of leaving signs up and stuff like that. It's uh, really cool. Yeah, maybe it's a uh, Muslim version of uh, Romans go home. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Romani itedom. Yeah, uh, so. Then, uh, Duiker is apparently very good at, um, considering good hiding himself as a native, uh, as a member of the, uh, Graal tribe, I believe. And he basically goes to this encampment on the edge of the city, where this, uh, kind of for- foretelling thing is going on. And this, this poor kid who's like an orphan and stuff, just like kind of like, like, uh, going around and he's like ecstasy and uh, it's just kind of uh, your usual uh, kind of like uh, cryptic uh, prediction which uh, is also a kind of thing you always see at the beginning of these uh, near the beginning of these uh, epic fantasies you know something makes this like really cryptic fantasy and then when you see it again like oh that's what it's talking about uh, yeah and, uh, he's basically talking about uh, Shaikh who's uh, on a service and now uh, the whirlwind is coming apocalypse and so on and so on uh and, there's, uh, there's a great bit of uh, foreshadowing as well in the, in the uh, in his proclamation yes. where he talks about the two fountains of blood face to face. Exactly. The blood, the blood is the same, and yeah, yeah, it's really, uh, really good. Very good. Um, um, and uh, with the, this bit of uh, unconventional intel gathering, uh, du- Duiker heads back to the city and he goes to the palace for this uh, awkward council scene. Uh, which uh, Coltane is uh, called, and we have Coltane and uh, his um, Lieutenant Bolt, who also fought with him back in those uh, wars where the Empire fought to subjugate the Wiccans, uh, and uh, Malakrell, and uh, Culp. So to start the uh, the council, we basically have a bit of a small talk between Colt and Bolt, Coltane and Bolt and uh, Dewiker, and... Um, so, uh, he's basically saying, oh, well, Colty tells him, like, oh, the last time I saw you, you were, like, totally, like, wounded, and you didn't have any weapons in battle. It turns out that it was Bolt that, uh, injured him, but, but then it was, uh, Dujek of that really got scarred, uh, Bolt's face while he's doing the soap operation. Uh, and that's how Dujek became Dujek one hand. Yeah, Bolt's horse bit his arm off. <laughs> yeah. I, um, 
and uh, yeah, so they basically did this uh, small talk, and uh, Malik's a bit uh, impatient to get the cats started with, but Colt is like, I'll start it when I want to, yeah, so, what was I gonna say, uh, so, uh, then we, 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 we meet this kid called Sorbel and it turns out he's the reincarnation of this sorcerer warlock guy, uh, the Wiccans, who was, like, killed by the cave from the walls of, uh, Urta, uh, back in the day. And we learned that all those, uh, Wiccan warlocks get reborn by these crows that, like, carry their souls to be reborn, uh, mm-hmm. which is, uh, very interesting. And I wonder how come they, they, how do they do that? It's like, yeah, how do they do that? They, uh, I don't think it's ever answered, but it's, uh, I guess you can't really take the veil behind the magic, uh, yeah, although it's it's a, we we sort of hinted that it's a similar process to how uh, Tattersail was yes, uh, reborn. Revi and Genovacus, so maybe it's, they're tapping into a power that exists, and they just uh, developed that knowledge. Uh, and it, oh yes, the, there's this like this little funny bit of banter where like uh, both says, "Oh, what Dujek took away my beauty, and that's why I only have one wife." Uh, wasn't she your your sister, Bolt? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, blonde, and she was blonde. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, I really like throughout this book the uh, the sort of uh, back and forth between yes. Coltane and Bolton and uh, Duca. Yeah, it uh, gives a bit of a light in a very, very dark book. Mm. And um, we also hear about uh, one, about uh, the previous uh, fist, uh, the seventh of, of uh, Governor Naren, um, Cartheron Crust. Who is a member of the old guards, basically founded the empire, and he was supposedly, supposedly drowned in the Aran Harbor. Uh, Aran is basically the uh, capital of the Mazan administration, seven cities far to the south. But uh, we're told that Carthoron um, could swim drunk through a hurricane. So uh, we get it's a bit of one of our first hints about how the old guard might not actually be that that gone. Um, yeah, yeah. And, uh, we hear a lot about people who are supposedly dead, but the body was never found. And, uh, yes. That, if there's no body, then chances are they're probably still out there somewhere. <laughs> yes, it's a very recurring thing, especially with these uh, early Malzahn uh, leaders. Um, so basically, Malik Rao's is being kind of a messenger boy for High Fist Pornqual, who is the rather incompetent uh, High Governor of Seven Cities, down Aaron, and apparently he doesn't govern much. And uh, surprise, surprise, Malik ma- manages most stuff uh, around. Um, and uh, he basically give, Malik gives him this like uh, gives Coltane these really odd and probably manufactured orders to like retreat, and uh, the fleet uh, the fleet that's uh, anchored in Hisar has to leave, and uh, they basically have to all come down to Aaron. And I'm thinking it's probably Malik um, behind these uh, orders, considering. The, yeah, I mean it's it's a pretty stupid order. They've just got it is. on one side of the continent, and they're being ordered to go all the way to the other side of the continent just for an inspection. Yeah, um, yeah I mean if that's what the high fists command is, then um, you can see why the, uh, the continent seems to be in trouble because <laughs> he doesn't seem particularly great. Parkour is one of those uh, paper mache characters <laughs> in uh, the books. Uh, not, not really a, like a bad writing kind of sense, but more like a, like a totally in, uh, irrelevant sense. And, yeah, yeah, he's just he's just a puppet, really. And uh, I think uh, Duker and uh, Culp talk about how it's really uh, Relu's pulling all the strings behind the scenes, and 
Yeah. Just sort of uses Palm Qual to give himself uh, uh, legitimacy, basically. Yes. Um, so basically, they're talking about uh, rebellion is coming, and uh, but of course, uh, Malakrel is trying to uh, play play down things. Says, "Oh, every year they're saying the uh, revolution, the whirlwind, blah blah blah." And, uh, we can see there's an agenda there. Um, so uh, then we have that we go back to Fiddler, who and the gang who are approaching the city of uh, Erlitan, uh, and we get at, it actually starts out with a rare info dump, uh, but a very interesting uh, info dump on the history of the city. Where it's basically a kind of a reflection also on how uh, every layer of the city gets buried on top of the other, and like each layer of the city is like still living on uh, beneath the, all the others. And then there's like this one uh, ruler, uh, uh, I forgot the word, uh, anyway, who built this palace, but then everything was destroyed in an earthquake, and only one uh, like messenger, uh, servant boy survived, but he killed himself because he thought that like this pot he dropped uh, caused the earthquake. So yeah. A, a nice bit of. Uh, uh, world building tibbets, which is yeah. one of the, one of the things that makes this uh, series great. I think I love this image as as well of cities being built on top of the ruins of other cities. So it's sort of like all the ground underneath, sort of effectively hollow, yes. and like the slightest thing, everything just comes crashing down. And then yeah. they probably build something on top of that again. <laughs> yeah, it uh, also, as, as I said, reflects. Um, uh, Erickson's uh, past as an archaeologist, which uh, you know it does, it is quite a bit good uh, preparation for creating a huge and uh, detailed uh, fantasy world. I think. Yeah. Um, see, like the roots of uh, humans, like real world civilization, and you kind of make your own. Um, and, I think, uh, particularly in when we're in Seven Cities, yes. uh, Erickson really sort of flexes his uh, archaeological muscles. <laughs> it's a very ancient uh, place. Um, yeah. So. Um, uh, so Fiddler yeah, pretends to be a member of the, uh, the Grawl tribe again, and um, in the city he saves these uh, two girls who are, who are like almost uh, taken to prostitution uh, in this uh, uh, pin. And um, actually, actually, I think uh, uh, there's like this one foreign word like uh, Mezlaebdin, which seems to mean like the miles on lapdogs. It's a word. Uh, it's a kind of derogatory word for the Red Guards who are like these. Uh, Traders, they're from seven cities, but they're like fanatically loyal to the empire. And I guess Ebdin, the Ebdin part comes from like Evid or uh, Abid, which is like a Semitic word for slave, right? Uh, just uh, fun to put it back right there. Um, yeah, Erickson's not much of a linguist, but you do have these uh, things from time to time just to give a bit of slash, splash of uh, authenticity. Uh, Mezla is this is a generic seven cities term for like Malzans, accursed Malzans. Uh, you know, Seven Cities is kind of like a mix between India and uh, the Middle East. Like, you've got the, like, the hot uh, religious fanaticism and all that in the Middle East, and then you've got, like, this really wide and huge uh, variety of civilizations they have in India. In fact, uh, just like India is a subcontinent, I think uh, once or twice Seven Cities is also referred to as a, a subcontinent. Uh, so I think that's those are like, uh, big influences. But I think, actually, it's my uh, favorite of the continents we see in uh uh, in the Mazan world, I mean, like, Quantali is not much a continent and stuff, and Genebacus is kind of like this, um, it kind of reminds me of, like, your average uh, Dungeons and Dragons setting, you know, like, for some reason. Yeah. I really, I'm biased towards Genebacus just because I love uh, Darugistan. I just think it's a, oh, yeah. a great location, but... That is. Darugistan specifically, yes. Yeah. But, um... Which is not to say it's not a not a well designed place. It's just a bit familiar. Whereas uh, Seven Cities is a very fresh and kind of you know reflecting on the real world 
uh, places that are fantasy. Well, anyway, so as I was saying, uh, so Fiddler basically buys these, uh, in the guise of a uh, growl tribesman, he basically buys and uh, saves these two little girls who are like being sold into uh, prostitution. Um, and uh, it's nice to see someone uh, do something that generally kind in the Malazan world, which is not something you see too much of, or what you see in real world. Um, so basically, so he buys them, and he delivers them to their house, and it turns out that their grandfather is none else than the uh, Tano Spirit Walker, uh, who basically does one one another of those uh, cryptic, uh, uh, I know what your destiny is kind of speeches. Uh, I basically yeah. talk, talks to Filler, he says, oh, you're a bridge runner, I mean, why'd you come here? You won't find any peace in uh, Seven Cities. Uh, my is basically saying, oh, the bridge burners, yeah, like, uh, you did bad, bad stuff, but you were like honorable soldiers in a dishonorable war. And, um, so, uh, then there's a very, bit of a weird scene where he's talking about a song that, uh, he would make, he wants to make a fiddler as a reward for saving his granddaughters. Um, and, uh, actually, you should pay attention to the section reading the chapter because it's, um, very crucial in the, Kim, uh, the Kimlock makes this little other uh, question like that. Can an entire regiment ascend? Which is uh, this about uh, the bridge burners. Yeah, uh, there's there's great powers in a in a spirit walker's song. Yes. Uh, actually, I want to know that like, does this where Fiddler is like coming to the delivering the girls? So like the captain of the household guard uh, asks him what his name, real name is. So Fiddler, it's again one of those things where like Fiddler gave him his real name, but we don't actually hear what that name is, which uh, is a bit of a pity. But it's, I guess it's one of those you know those uh, mystery things you have to do to keep uh, interest in the character. Yeah. And, like in uh, like Wolverine, for instance. You know, although we did discover. Uh, anyway, so uh, we, we afterwards uh, we discovered that Kimlock apparently he was like the, the commander was like uh, in charge of this uh, city of uh, Krakarang, one of those uh, pilgrim cities. But he decided to just surrender the city to the Malazans without a fight. And you know he comes up as this really like uh, smart and uh, reasonable guy. I mean it turns out he's basically saying like uh, the Malazans will uh, have will have the city no matter how many men they lose, and as well surrender and save uh, everybody. Uh, in the city. So, yeah. And it says he, he, he says that he could have destroyed uh, the Malazan armies or he, he claimed that he could have. Uh, but he, he just uh, he gave in. So his, his name's legendary for empty threats. Although I'm kind of inclined to believe that he's got that the, the power that he could have certainly caused them a lot of trouble. But as you say, he didn't want all that bloodshed. So yeah. it's a reasonable yeah. decision. Mm-hmm. So um, afterwards we have... Uh, Callan, uh, who's, uh, who goes off on a little nocturnal meet with, uh, meet up with, uh, an old friend of his by the name of, uh, Mebra, who's one of those kind of, uh, you know, slinky, tiny, uh, worm-like characters. Uh, basically, uh, he, uh, kind of threatens him, and in the end, Mebra gives him this holy book of, uh, of, uh, Shaikh, or no, of the, the whirlwind. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, it turns out that Callan wants to, uh, go to, uh, uh, Aaron through the Sha'ik through the uh, Rabakru Desert. So basically, with the book, he he gets a uh, safe passage by saying like, if if uh, if anyone hurts me, I'll destroy the book. And apparently, the book is uh, crucial to launching the uh, whirlwind. Uh, 
So, um, also, it, it, it turns out, like we have a little discussion between uh, Fiddler and Crocus, actually, I think this is back in the last chapter, that they want to kill the Empress. Uh, and of yeah. course, this, this seems like a bit of a dubious proposition, considering that they're going to Seven Cities and not to uh, Unta, where the Empress actually is. But it's, uh, and it turns out they basically hijacked this kind of, uh, a Absalar and uh, Crocus is supposed to journey to take uh, Absalar back home. And they were kind of lying when they said, you know, we just want to take her home. Uh, and, um, yeah, but I think geographically it would have been, I think they, they, they did sort of say it'd be hard for them to get a both directly from Genebacus to, uh, to Unter. That's true. Uh, so, although they are taking uh, perhaps an, an overly large uh, detour <laughs> across seven cities. Only, only an 800 page. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they're uh, wanted people. And the Empire, they've been outlawed. So, and then uh, Chapter 2, we still have one more section to cover, and it's back with our friends uh, Napo and J.E. Karanam, who are still wandering through the desert, where they see this kind of monastery upon a cliff, and they have uh, no idea how to get there. But suddenly, this, like, one-armed man shows up, and his master, and it's none other than the second of the three great gestures of the Malzahn series, one Iskaral Pust, <laughs> the uh, high priest of a shadow who runs this little monastery of the desert, uh, and uh, he has got a lot of uh, wit, even in his first introduction. Um, yeah, Pust's another uh, favorite character of mine. I think he's he's Seven Cities' uh, answer to Croup. Yes. <laughs> in terms of the uh, this sort of babbling manner and his, uh, the, the light relief that he provides. But he's not as stupid as, he's, as he makes himself uh, to be. Yeah. But it's also, I think, a kind of thing is, uh, you know, babbling moron. Although, actually, uh, I think Iskara is more about being a babbling moron uh, who's, like, secretly smart, but Krupp is more like this amiable uh, bad guy. Yeah. Uh, moron. Uh, <laughs> well, actually, it might be Iskra's a bit funnier, maybe, maybe. But, uh, that's a debate for another day. And basically, he takes uh, Mapo and uh, he carry him up to his uh, oh, monastery, which is kind of pointless considering, you know, just him uh, and uh, his servant, who's called Servant. Um, <laughs> well, that's what uh, yeah, Iskra calls him. Um, and uh, basically gives him this kind of like, uh, call me by my real title. Well, no, 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 fool, what's my real title? Master? No, I British <laughs> shout out. Yeah. It's uh, very, very funny. And um, I guess, yeah, that's it for the first two chapters. It's uh, it was a bit of uh, intros and uh, recapping, like reintroducing gold characters and mainly showing us the new characters like uh, Felicine and uh, Dweaker. And it's a, in a very real sense, it's a very planting seeds for the uh, amazing uh, trees that are about to flower in the later on parts of the book. Yeah, um, I think we get all pretty much all of the the main players introduced in these first two chapters. Yes, um, we got Mapo and Acarium, uh, obviously Fiddler and the gang, Duker and Co. Yes. Uh, Coltane. So yeah, it just sets the book up nicely. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's your standard uh, Ericsson thing. You set up for a bit, and then you have like some built up, and then this crazy uh, convergence climax kind of thing. So uh, that's it for tonight. So uh, we'll see you guys in two weeks for chapters uh, three and four of uh, Dead House Gates. Uh, get reading, and we'll see you then. Yep. Bye, everyone.